Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest podcast. Today is around February 5th, 2008. And uh, the title of this podcast is one that probably is something that you've heard of, but maybe haven't thought of. And I titled this podcast, Personalized Radiology. I know you've probably all heard a lot about personalized medicine. It's something that always makes the news. Uh, it's the concept, of course, that uh, in this day and age where everything seems to be big store, big box, big theory, um, how do you really get care that's designed for you, not just for you and your closest two million friends? And for many diseases, of course, you know, if you have a cold, you take aspirin. You don't need a whole lot of uh, personalized care probably in that scenario. But for many other diseases, whether it's on the wellness side or it's being treated for cancer or heart disease, personalized medicine is something that, of course, is of great interest. So what is personalized radiology? Well, it's kind of interesting how this process is coming about. And I'm not sure it exists yet, but it's surely thought about. And I'll tell you two meetings I went to, which really has sort of crystallized the process for me. About three weeks ago, I was invited to attend this meeting in New York. And it was actually two meetings. Each meeting consisted of about 14 or 15 people to discuss a single case. One case uh, was pancreatic cancer, one case was lung cancer. Now, what was interesting was it was a patient who basically wanted to know what would be their best treatment options and what would be the best long-term uh, survival for them if they did certain things. What should they do? Was standard of care, the quote-unquote standard of care that everybody gets, the best care for them, or are there other options? So at this meeting were uh, radiation oncologists, there were surgical oncologists, a number of medical oncologists, pathology, myself as radiology, uh, and then there were uh, representatives from some of the major uh, pharmaceutical companies that do oncologic uh, medication and drugs. And then there were representatives from outside ventures that uh, actually research what is the latest and greatest different uh, medications or treatments for different processes. It was interesting, uh, this um, one fellow who was from this company in Israel, who was looking at all the uh, possibilities of treatment based on what's available in the world. So again, you're not talking about what the FDA has approved, but what's available in the world that has some science behind it. One of the comments he made was kind of interesting, and if I asked you this question, hopefully you'll do better than my answer. And the question was, how many articles are published in journals every week? And the second question, of course, is how many articles are published every year? Well, believe it or not, there are 40,000 articles published worldwide every week, which means there's 2 million articles published every year. Now, even if you think that 1,900,000 of them are junk, that leaves 100,000 good articles. And I don't know about you, but I typically don't read about 100,000 articles a year, nor do I flip those pages or see them on the web. So it means that there's a lot of information that probably is very valuable that is not getting to us all. Now, some of it is not perfectly validated. Some of it may be off-labeled use of medication. Some hasn't been proven in large trials. You know the, the, the run of, of, of possibilities. But it does make the point that there's so much information out there. We're living in an era of information overload. I think most of us suffer not from too little information, which maybe was an issue 10 or 20 years ago, but almost too much information. And at times, there's so many choices and so many options, it's hard to make a decision. 
it was a lot easier, I guess, you know, kind of when you only can get vanilla ice cream and now you go to some place that makes custom ice creams and they can make like 12,000 different ice creams. Kind of like a Larry David episode where the lady gets like 20 uh, tasters, wastes about an hour and then gets a vanilla cone. But um, so, so that was one thing uh, that made me think about this customized medicine. Here we were, 15 of us, determining the best management for that patient, both short-term and long-term. That's what I call personalized medicine. The second thing I went to yesterday was this uh, meeting in Philadelphia called the Molecular Summit, which was focusing on the integration of imaging and diagnostics. And it was an interesting meeting. Most of the people there were either company-type people or people from, a patho from the pathology end of things. And they were looking at what the changes would be with new molecular imaging, what the changes would be with new diagnostics and new therapies, uh, the combination of where in vitro and in vitro diagnostics are moving. And if you, you know, pay attention to the press, you've recognized that both Siemens and GE have spent billions of dollars in the past 12 to 18 months buying companies that do many of these in vivo testing. And really the question is how these molecular imaging beyond PET and PET-CT are going to change how we practice medicine. There was a lot of discussion uh, amongst the you know, many of these people who have a lot of experience as to the good things that have occurred, you know, some of the positives and some of the hype, which has not, you know, panned out. One of the things they've also commented on very clearly was the importance of information technology that, again, the same issue is if you change therapies, how do you teach the doctors in practice what the new therapy should be? Um, if you're in residency, you learn what is being done at the current moment, but if you're in practice five years, 10 years, 20 years out, how do you know when it's time to change? Whether it's ordering studies, whether it's delivering therapy, whether it's ordering specific lab tests, how do you know what to do? You can read a little bit, you hear a little bit, someone tells you a little bit, but how do you develop best practice? And that's really where this focus of personalized radiology comes in. I think it's important for us, you know, one of the problems in, in 2008 is um, we, we now have PACs, we have all of these cool things. Well, the truth of the matter is, as far as I'm concerned, PACs and teleradiology have tremendous advantages and they have tremendous disadvantages. The biggest disadvantage is, is that everybody who has a computer and looks at images can think they're a radiologist. They look at reports, they look at images. Remember the old days when the clinicians would come down and consult with you? It was annoying at times, and you got a little bit tired looking at the case with the fifth group of residents. On the other hand, they learned a lot, and you learned a lot. So it, it was really probably the best of times, and I 